0: Merry Christmas! Merry Christmas! Well, as the great American poet and prophet Theodore Geisel once said, it came without ribbons, it came without tags, it came without packages, boxes, or bags. Then the Grinch thought of something he hadn't before. Maybe Christmas, perhaps, doesn't come from a store. Maybe Christmas, perhaps, means a little bit more. Well, Dr. Seuss, in case you didn't figure out, that's the prophet I was talking about. Dr. Seuss knew that Christmas didn't come from a store. As the Grinch discovers after he steals all the presents. And Christmas comes anyway. But do we? Do we know that? Beneath the wrapping paper and ribbons, is there something more? Is there any real, deeper meaning to Christmas? You know, maybe as you sit here tonight, you are thinking about the gifts you still have left to wrap, despite your vow that you're going to be done with presents three days ago. Or maybe you're sitting here hoping that tomorrow you will discover those AirPods that you really wanted under the tree. Or maybe you're sitting here worried because there aren't quite as many presents under the tree as last year. Inflation has taken a bite out of your budget. After all, Christmas in America is all about more and more presents. But maybe Christmas, perhaps, means a little bit more. You know, every year on Christmas Eve, we hear the same exact story over and over again every year. And the hope is that each year, the story will mean a little bit more to us. Because at the heart of the Christmas story is a profound mystery— God came to us as a child. And somehow in the shopping and the elves on the shelves, we've lost it. We've lost the wonder of Christmas. You know, if you've ever watched children on Christmas morning, you've probably had this experience. They start opening their presents and immediately discard whatever the present actually was and spend all morning playing with the wrapping paper in the boxes. This happened one time with my son, and um, he was tearing the wrapping paper into little bits and throwing them on the floor, and we tried to take the wrapping paper away from him and show him the toy that was the real gift, and he immediately burst into tears. And I think something similar has happened to us. Many of us have settled for the wrapping paper, ribbons, and tags, and no one has ever helped us to unwrap and see the real Christmas present. So tonight, I want to do that with you. I want to unwrap this gift with you. Tonight, I want to clear up three misconceptions about the Christmas story and what they tell us about the wonderful, true Christmas story. The first misconception that I have is this. Mary did not ride a donkey. Hear me out. Hold on. I know that there is a Christmas movie where the lead character is a donkey. I don't know if you've seen this. I think we've got an image of it, maybe. Nope. Do we have it on there? No. Okay. That's all right. But there's, there it is, the star, right? The main character is a donkey. I know that tradition may have even given him a name, Nestor, and written songs all about him. <laughs> there he is, Nestor the long-eared donkey. He may be in your nativity and painted on your ornaments on your tree. But there is no donkey in the Christmas story. I know, I know, we all love donkeys. They are super cute, I get it. But it doesn't change the fact that there is no donkey in the Christmas story. Now you might say, come on David, what's wrong with adding a cute donkey to the Christmas story? Well, there's nothing wrong with it. Except that it says a lot more about us than it does about the real Christmas story. Because the real Christmas story starts in suffering and oppression. Look at the opening lines of the Christmas story with him, with me. We've got them printed in your bulletin, and if you want to pull in or, or your service guide, Luke two, verse one. Look at how it starts. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. The Roman government, the setting for Jesus' birth, is that the Roman government was conducting a census. Now, a census may not sound so bad, but this census was so that the emperor could calculate how much money he could squeeze out of his subjects in the form of taxes. Roman emperors weren't known for caring about their half-starved subjects. For many Jews, increased taxation meant poverty and possible starvation. Enter Mary and Joseph. They're required to travel 70 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem. That's where we started in our Christmas story. Mary and Joseph on the road to Bethlehem, just so that they can pay more in taxes. The Bible doesn't tell us that she rode a donkey for this long journey. In fact, later in the Gospel of Luke, he tells us that they were so poor, they couldn't even afford a little lamb. That's how poor they were. So it's unimaginable that they could afford a donkey, right? The only description of the journey says this. They went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. And the reason it says up is because Nazareth is located in the lowlands and Bethlehem is in the highlands. So they're, they're traveling south. It's not like directional north-south up, but it's up literally. They're going uphill for 70 miles, they're walking. They're walking all the way. It's no big surprise that by the time they complete this 70-mile uphill hike, she is ready to have the baby. They were lucky to make it to Bethlehem, right? So why do we add the donkey? Where does it come from? Well, we add the donkey because we are uncomfortable with the full depth of human suffering that humanity inflicts on itself. We throw Mary a donkey so we don't have to imagine her walking with swollen feet and sweating, pausing to catch her breath as the Son of God pushes on her lungs, trying to catch a breath. We don't want to imagine the contractions as she walked up yet another hill. From its opening lines, the real Christmas story tells us that the world is full of cruelty and hardship. But it also tells us that God comes to us right in the midst of that cruelty and hardship. God does not spare himself from the oppression of this world, but places his very body in the thick of it. Today, this very night, we are confronted with a world filled with oppression, injustice, and hardship. All you have to do is list a few countries and and images will flood your mind. Ukraine, Israel, Gaza, Sudan, Myanmar. But then there's the little hardships that we all face. This is a time of year when many of us find that our griefs are sharpened. Our anxieties are heightened and our loneliness becomes more dismal. Whether we have lost loved ones or we are feeling estranged from our family or struggling to make ends meet, God not only sees all of these little hardships, He enters everyone, the big and the small. Tonight, whatever you are facing, God came to be with you, not riding comfortably on a donkey but in the struggling belly of a poor woman. Instead of imagining a calm donkey ride, wonder at a God who comes right into the midst of struggle and hardship. Second, there are no sheep with Mary, Joseph, and baby Jesus. I promise I do not have a vendetta against farm animals. There are sheep in the Christmas story, but they're out in the fields with the shepherds. The sheep never make it to the manger. It says this in verse 16. And they, the shepherds, went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. Let me tell you something. I saw a lot of shepherds moving sheep around when I was in Israel. They were not moving with any haste. You cannot make haste with a flock of sheep. They do not cooperate with you. They do not move quickly. You especially can't make haste with a flock of sheep at night in the hill country around Bethlehem. Something that the shepherds encounter causes them to abandon their flocks of sheep at the most dangerous hour for those flocks of sheep. What was it? What did they encounter? Here's what we read in our account in the real Christmas story. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God. Now, I need to clarify. These were not the cutesy angels that we put in ornaments on our tree or our decorations out on the lawn. When it says that a whole host appeared, that term host refers to a military company, an army. This was an army emitting a war cry. They're rejoicing because the best warrior in the universe has parachuted in behind enemy lines. They're celebrating because even though there are many battles left to fight, they know that the moment that Jesus is born, the war is won. Jesus has been born. God has invaded humanity to reclaim it as his own. But even more surprising than the appearance of the angels is the message they bring. Here's what they say. Fear not. They had to say that because they were very scary. Don't be afraid. Fear not. (laughs) For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This is great news. The long-awaited Messiah has come. The one who will rescue Israel from all that oppression we talked about. But the angel doesn't stop there. He keeps going. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. What? That doesn't fit at all. The only thing less powerful than a baby is a baby that's been restrained by strips of cloth. Right? How is a baby wrapped in rags and lying in a feeding trough going to do all this? No wonder the angelic host follows this statement with a raw display of power that terrifies the shepherds. The shepherds are so full of wonder. They're so stunned. They can't move until the angels leave. They're frozen stiff. It is only after the angels have departed that the shepherds are able to gather their wits about them enough to see if they can find this child, and they make haste. They run off to find this child. And so the shepherds flock to the good shepherd. They leave their flocks to find the one true Lamb of God. They come as shepherds with flocks of sheep, but they leave as shepherds guiding lost sheep back to the good shepherd. Jesus, even at his birth, was turning people to the true purpose of their professions. And when they find Jesus, they wonder. They wonder at what the angels told them and what they see right before them. There are no sheep beside the manger, just the one Lamb of God lying in the manger. Wonder tonight at the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Third, there is no mean innkeeper in the story. Growing up, I always had this image that there was some heartless innkeeper who turns aside a very pregnant Mary and an exhausted husband Joseph. I pictured him pointing a cruel finger to some distant barn on a lonely hill and saying, you go there, or something like that. But the real Christmas story doesn't have a mean innkeeper turning them away or or a distant and lonely barn. All it says in our account is this, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Now, I know it says the word in there, but that is a terrible translation. Um, And it's terrible for a number of reasons. I'm not going to go into all those. But the Greek word just referred to the specific part of a house that was like a guest room that was upstairs. And so there's no room in this special guest room. And so um, not that there was like some kind of Motel 6 that they were trying to get into and being turned away from or something like that. And this separate area, this was a separate area away from the animals. And it's where you'd put your guests when they came. Mary and Joseph um, are coming back to their hometown, right? To Bethlehem, to Joseph's hometown. So they're likely staying with family, and there's already guests who've been in there. But there's some other reasons to think of why they went into the stable instead of into that guest room. Mary and Joseph are staying in this stable that's been attached to the house. So it's connected right to the house um, where the rest of their family is staying. Now, because Mary is very obviously about to give birth... They stay where there is straw and hay on the ground for easy cleanup and some marginal privacy, right? Instead of staying jammed into a guest room with a bunch of other people when you're about to give birth, right? No, stay down here where there's a space for you and where there's easy cleanup. You know, I'm not going to go into all the details, but birth is messy. I won't give you a whole description tonight. But Mary and Joseph are not alone on some lonely hilltop barn, There's an entire group of people that have been hiding in plain sight. Look at verse 18 with me. Luke 2.18 says this, And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Who is this group of people that wonder at the message of the shepherds? Who are these other people we've never heard of? Well, there would have been midwives. I'm pretty sure Joseph didn't deliver baby Jesus himself, right? Right? But besides the midwives, there were probably a lot of other people gathered around. It was like a giant family reunion. Bethlehem probably looked like a refugee camp. All these people returning back to Bethlehem and camping out. The stable that, again, was attached to the home was close proximity. And people lived very close to each other. Everyone on the block is probably aware that Mary has just given birth because they heard it happen, right? Right? So men and women, young and old, a crowd is gathered around as the shepherds arrive with the news they heard from the angel. This baby, this baby that you just witnessed being born, that you just heard being born, that's wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger, is the Messiah, is the Lord. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Wonder. This is what the crowd felt, and this is what we are called to do. Wonder at the virgin who gave birth to a baby boy, wonder at the angels who appeared to the shepherds, wonder at the God who became a man. Tonight, we are the crowd. Gathered around, seeing the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger, hearing the shepherds tell the story of the angels and what they said about this child. We are the crowd gazing in wonder at God made man. As Orthodox theologian Callistus Ware says, it is not the task of Christianity to provide easy answers to every question, but to make us progressively aware of a mystery. God is not so much the object of our knowledge as the cause of our wonder. And this is the real meaning of Christmas. God has come to save the whole rabble of humanity. The midwives and the shepherds, the Marys and the Josephs, the nosy neighbors and the little children. The extended families and the lonely. This whole crowd gathered around baby Jesus is a sign that Jesus came to save the whole rabble of humanity, the whole crowd of humanity, you and me included. You know, you've probably heard it said, Jesus is the reason for the season, and that's true, if a bit trite. But Christmas tells us an even deeper truth. You are the reason for Christmas. God loved you so much that he came to be with you as a human child. He made himself vulnerable as a little baby. He was rejected. He suffered and died on the cross for you. He did it all from the cradle to the cross because of his love for you. God knew that suffering would only cease. Oppression would only be banished when humans were liberated from sin and death. He came to treat the root cause of suffering, not just the symptoms that we see around us. When we see all the oppression and brokenness in the world, it's easy to to point the finger at those bad people over there. But the reality is that we had a part in making the mess. We are sinners, and the brokenness in the world around us flows out of the brokenness in us. We needed something outside ourselves, something stronger to get out of the mess. We needed the greatest thing in the universe. And so God gave himself. Salvation doesn't begin on the cross, it begins in the stable. God's mercy didn't start with the blood shed on the cross. His mercy started with the blood of his own birth. Jesus lived and died so that you can die and still live. Christmas celebrates the full mystery of the Incarnation. Mild he lays his glory by, born that we no more may die. This is the real gift of Christmas. It's a gift for everyone, but especially for you. The child is the gift for you and for me. The child Jesus. It is better than any gift you've ever wanted for yourself because it is God himself. It comes with no strings attached. This is no gift exchange. It's a gift freely given to us. All you have to do is receive it. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. Jesus came without ribbons. Jesus came without tags. He came without packages, boxes, or bags. Maybe Christmas doesn't come from a store. Maybe Christmas, perhaps, means a little bit more. Amen.